everybody. Well done. Good to see all your smiling faces today. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, 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 good. We're kind of, we're doing okay. Everyone's kind of on a high note after this week's celebrations, right? Yes? Okay. Well, maybe we don't care. I don't know. I, I really can't, you know, make that call for you. All right. Well, um, before I get started, I want to uh, reiterate that we use the Bible app for our sort of bulletin, as it were. Um, so the passages that we're going to be looking at today and some reflection points, some things to, to think about, they will be in the Bible app. So if you have that, um, you can use that now. If you don't, that's fine. You'll still be able to follow along. All of the passages will be up on the screen that I'm going to be talking about and all will be well. So, cool. All right, well, this morning what I thought I would do is I thought I would tell some stories. Uh, I think one of the things that Jesus demonstrated to us pretty well is that sometimes the deep spiritual truths that God wants us to really understand are best explained not through theological discourse or for unpacking a passage and, and really kind of ripping it all to pieces and seeing what's in there. Sometimes that's a really, really good way to understand those spiritual truths. But sometimes the best way to understand what God is trying to put in our lives is to see it lived out in people and to, to tell examples of how it goes. So this morning I wanted to tell a few stories that kind of highlight this idea that I think God may be wanting us to look at this morning. We've been looking through a series um, called Daniel, uh, Plotting the Course When Life Goes Sideways. And life often goes sideways on us. We started the series because of the lockdown and once again having to shift and adjust our lives because things are not going the way that we thought they would go and the world is not behaving the way we thought it would behave. And then, of course, in the news this week, everything just seems to be piling on that with, I don't know if you've heard about some of the stuff going on in America at the moment, um, with the, there was a, some shootings in Atlanta, I believe it was, um, focused um, against Asian Americans, and that's bringing up a whole other chapter of this, you know, hate crimes and, and racial injustice and all that sort of stuff. So it's just, again, it just keeps reminding us or highlighting things that many of us actually already knew, is that the world doesn't move straight in a straight line, and life does not go the way we want it to. Sometimes life goes sideways on us. And so we've been looking at this character of Daniel, but before we talk about Daniel, I want to talk about someone else. I want to tell a story about a Dutch woman named Corrie ten Boom. Does anyone, has anyone heard of the name Corrie ten Boom? All right, did you know, by the way, that Corrie ten Boom was the very first Dutch woman to be licensed as a watchmaker? Nope, didn't know that either. So that's a nice, interesting fact. In fact, the life of Corrie ten Boom is, is just one of those stories of a life that was going steadily in one direction. She grew up in a sort of very normal environment, seemed like have a loving family. She was a, a devoted Christian led Bible studies, was very interested in helping um, all of God's people as much as she could, um, enjoyed working in her father's watchmaking shop, which is why she got registered as a, or licensed as a watchmaker. Everything was going hunky-dory. But then life went sideways on her in May 1940, as you can possibly guess, in the Netherlands, 
World War II arrived, and German forces invaded. And as we know about Nazi forces in World War II, they were not particularly gentle or kind, especially to those who were mentally disabled, who were a different color, and most famously were Jewish. And so Corey ten Boom and her family were watching thousands of Jews getting rounded up and hauled away to concentration camps. And this didn't sit well with them. They really had a heart for God's original chosen people, the Jews. And so they started working with the resistance. And Corey, along with her father and her sister, would hide and smuggle um, Jews uh, in, her, in their home. And they would then smuggle them to safety any way that they could. This carried on for a while, and um, eventually they got involved more and more in the resistance movement. And it's been estimated that through Corey's actions, 800 Jews were rescued and smuggled to safety during World War II, which is pretty amazing. But that gets attention. And so the Gestapo... Um, the German secret police caught up with the Ten Boom family. They were arrested and they were carted off to a concentration camp themselves where Corey's father and her sister Betsy died. Corey survived in that camp and instead of despairing, she continued to run Bible studies. She continued to tell people about Jesus and she was continually drawing people into that saving relationship with him. After she was released, which is a fun story all by itself, but after she was released, she traveled around the world with a ministry of writing and of speaking and influenced and inspired millions of people. Now, as far as I can tell, Corrie ten Boom never was able to settle back down into her career as a watchmaker. She was never able to do that again. That was not on the cards for her. Her path changed and was never the same again. Now, no one is going to celebrate the Holocaust, nor are we going to relish the fact that Corey was stuck in a, in a concentration camp and her family were killed there. We know that this is undeniably evil, undeniably horrible. And yet... The end result of Corey's life is one of incredible power, incredible influence, incredible victory. She was considered a war hero. She was even knighted by the Queen of the Netherlands. I'm going to hold that story for a second. Back in the Bible, we're looking at the story of Daniel, as I said, one of the heroes of the Old Testament. And like Corey ten Boom, Daniel was a prisoner of war. He was um, kidnapped, essentially, when his country was conquered, and he was hauled back to Babylon as a captive and forced to work for the king. His, path, his life path took a drastic left turn, and like Corey, was, it was never the same again. As far as we can tell, Daniel never went back to Israel. He never returned to his homeland he never returned to the path that he was on. And yet, just like Corey, the end result of Daniel's life was one that inspires us even to today. And I want to look at one particular story. Uh, one particular story um, about how 
Daniel was able to do what we looked at this week, which is to embrace the partnership opportunities. I want to explain that a little bit more later. But we're going to get into Daniel chapter 4. It's one of the lesser known stories in Daniel. Um, there are no lions. Um, then there's, there's no statues, no blazing furnaces or anything like that. This is one of the lesser known stories. And it is also one of the weirder stories in the Bible, as you will see. But it's also one of the cooler stories. So Daniel chapter 4 um, is actually a letter. It's not written by Daniel. It's written by King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this letter, King Nebuchadnezzar sends a letter all around to the kingdom, all to the provinces, all to the leaders in the entire empire. And he's like, guys, check this out. I've had a bit of an experience. I've had a moment. And I want to share this with you. And so he starts telling this story. And he tells the story about this weird dream that he has. He has this, this sort of crazy dream. Now, that's not such a big deal for us. But in the ancient cultures, dreams were very, very important. And in a lot of the ancient religious um, sort of arenas, including um, the Jewish religion, their dreams had significant meaning. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was worried about this dream. He wanted to know what it meant. And so he gathered all of his astrologers, astrologers all of his mystics, all of his advisors, all of his wise guys, all of his smart dudes. He gets them all into the room and he says, guys, you've got to tell me what this dream means. And he lays the dream out and everyone kind of looks at him and goes, I got nothing. I don't know what this means. Well, finally, our hero, Daniel, comes into the room. Now, Daniel has already had some experience interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Neb probably should have come to him first, but that's neither here nor there. And he says, Daniel, you've got to tell me what's going on. You've got to tell me what this dream means. And so Neb tells Daniel about this dream, and this dream is about a huge tree in the middle of a plain. And this tree reaches up to the sky and all of the birds are nesting in it and it's got fruit for everybody and it's a pretty impressive tree. And then this holy messenger or this angelic type being comes out of the sky and says, chop down the tree, remove the tree. And then he says the person who represents the tree is going to have to live amongst the wild animals for seven years. Weird dream. And then we read in verse 18, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so, but you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Close, close, Neb, but we're getting there. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. The king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replies, this is an interesting statement. I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. Daniel's never been one to kind of sugarcoat things. Daniel goes on to explain that the dream is not about, not the result of eating nachos right before going to bed, okay? This is a real dream. This is a foreshadowing. It's a prophecy about what's about to happen. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. You're this impressive dude. You are the king of the most powerful empire in the world. Everything you look at is yours. Everything you touch is amazing, blah, blah, blah. Yay, you. 
But there's going to come a time when you are going to get chopped down and you are going to have to go and live amongst the wild animals and you're going, your hair is going to grow long and your nails are going to grow long and you're going to go crazy. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to eat grass, which is not fun. And you're going to do this for seven years until you figure out that no matter how powerful you are, you're not the boss. Someone else is. All right? And interesting, right at the end there, he finishes this interpretation with a plea. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Sinning meaning doing the things that rebel against God. And do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Nebuchadnezzar continues the story, says, but all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Neb went crazy, spent seven years eating grass with the cows. His hair grew long like feathers. His fingernails grew long like the talons of a bird. This is, I mean, this is crazy stuff. This is a really weird dream. And then look how the story ends. After this time had passed, which was seven years, by the way, this is, this is no like weekend trip away. After this time had passed, Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the peoples of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases. Among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth, no one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom, even with, with even greater honor than before. Now, this is a great statement. Bear in mind, this is a pagan king, ruler of the most powerful nation in the world, conqueror of Israel. This is what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, play, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. What a statement. What a story. It's a weird story. First of all, I'm trying to picture the nobles turning up in the field and seeing this and deciding, yeah, we're going to get this guy back on the throne as soon as possible. Like, this is the man we need leading the country right now. He's got the right stuff. Okay, so this is a weird story. But that aside, I really want to see the impact of what's going on here. King Nebuchadnezzar, as I said, he had destroyed Israel, who was the most powerful man in the world. And he ends the story by praising the God of Israel. See, throughout the time of Israel, uh, throughout the time of the exile, when Daniel is in Babylon, as I tried to say last week, there, he had served three different pagan kings. Three different times he worked in the court side by side with the most powerful person to walk the face of the planet. All three of those kings got to see the amazing power of God through Daniel. Two of them seemed to express faith in that God. Can you imagine? I mean, Daniel had a horrible thing happen to him. But can you imagine the worst thing happening in your life leading to a world 
leader becoming a Christian. How incredible would that be? I haven't experienced that. But what's the secret to these stories? What's the secret to the story of Corey Ten Boom, to the story of Daniel here? What can we pick up? I believe what they did was they embraced the partnership opportunities that were laid before them. They embraced the partnership opportunities that were laid before them. Last week, we talked about um, embracing the way of the exile, this idea of trusting in God's power and his wisdom that we are in the situations he's allowed us to be in these situations and we trust him in that and we make the best of that situation and we serve the city around us. That's what we talked about last week. I wish I could point you to the podcast, but it didn't quite work. So if you have questions about that, come and see me. But that was about how can we make the best of our lives? How can we make the situation the best for ourselves when things go wrong? This week... We're flipping the coin a little bit and we say, how can we impact the world around us when we're in horrible, tragic situations or situations that we don't want to be in? That's what I mean by partnership opportunities. If you look at the story of Daniel, throughout the whole story, you can see there are moments that God presents an opportunity for Daniel to step up and to say something or do something that reps God and shows someone who God is. Now, God did most of the work. He gave the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. He made the convictions. He, he did all of the powerful stuff. But for some reason, and we don't always know why, he decided to partner with Daniel to make it happen. He used Daniel to bring this message to King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember verse 27, this plea that Daniel has, says, King, Listen to what's going on. Change your ways. Figure this out before it's too late. This is Daniel stepping into that moment. There's a partnership between Daniel and God in this time. God, like I said, he's doing the lion's share of the work. But Daniel is doing something as well. There is Daniel's side, and by extension, our side of a partnership with God that these opportunities arise. And the first one is an awareness of those opportunities. If we have our eyes open to see what God is doing and the doors that he is opening before us, sometimes they're very obvious, sometimes they're a little bit more subtle. But if we continue to try and connect with God, the closer we are to him, the more aware we are going to be of the opportunities that he provides us, even when things are going wrong. And the second one is by far the hardest. It's a boldness to step in and take hold of those opportunities. It's not an equal partnership. And we wonder why God would even want to use us at all. I wonder this constantly. But he does. The truth remains that he provides opportunities in spite of and sometimes because of the difficult situations that we experience in our lives. They often come in the midst of when our path goes sideways. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed in your life when things just go, and this is not the way I thought this was going to be, and suddenly all of these doors start opening up. And you think, I'm already dealing with enough, God. I don't need to be kind of like 
trying to do your work as well. Can you just leave me alone? But no, he gives us these opportunities. And when we take them, powerful things happen. Sometimes God uses our successes and our joys to spread his love. But so often he uses our pain and even our mistakes to make his point known. Corrie ten Boom has inspired millions of people throughout the world, but not because she's good at making watches. We would not know her other than a footnote in history that she was the first woman to be licensed in the Netherlands. That's the only impression she would have made on history. It's the only impression outside of her circle, which is not a small thing, by the way. But we know Corrie because her life went sideways, but she continued to take the opportunities God gave her, and look where she went now. So many other examples of this. Paul, in the New Testament, he's a guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he constantly got himself in trouble because he was trying to do what God wanted him to do, landed himself in prison, actually spent the last part of his life in prison before he was executed by the Romans. And you know what he says about this? His response in Philippians chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has happened, has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Again, no one's saying that these situations themselves are good. We're not sending thank you notes to the Nazis for setting up concentration camps. All right, We're not thanking the people in our lives who make our lives hard. We're not really often even thanking God for doing and allowing these things to happen to us. We have some words for him, but not so much the thanks. No one is saying that the situations you find yourselves in, and I know they're varying, no one is saying that they're good. But they can be powerful. It was pointed out to me last week, I may have miscommunicated a little bit around this idea of abuse. I had talked about how many times people had experienced abuse, and I was talking about embracing the way of the exile, and I think it made may have come across like I was saying that if you're in an abusive situation, you should stay in that situation in order to embrace the way of the exile. Not what I meant at all. I don't mean that. I'm not championing abuse at all. If you are in an abusive situation, get help, get out. All right? And if you need, we can connect you to people who can help. Okay? But we know that even when we escape the immediate situation... There is an aftermath of these situations, and not just abuse, but all sorts of tragic situations, the loss of loved ones, those sorts of things. There is an, our whole life path shifts. It changes, and it never goes back to where it was before. But that doesn't mean it can't be a good path. And it doesn't mean that God can't open up opportunities for you on that path to do some amazing things that may not have been available to you had you not been on that path. That's not saying that it's, we're happy about the situation. We're just saying God can use it. What we can glean from these stories is that whatever horrible situation you find yourself in can result in good things, victorious things. 
We just need to open ourselves up to those opportunities and have the boldness to do it. But as I said earlier, the best way to understand these things is not necessarily by dissecting it, but by seeing it an example, seeing it lived out. And that brings me to the third story I want to tell this morning, or at least not me, I want the story to be told. And that's of Francis Tangaloa, one of our own, um, who has had an incredible journey. I won't give too many details because we're going to show a video about it and she's going to talk um, a little bit about this too. But just incredible. She's had a busy week this week as an ongoing part of the commission against a commission, the Royal Commission looking into abuse in care and state care and in church care. Um, and so you can imagine the situation that she has experienced. Um, but I want to show a video of her testimony and then let her come and speak to not just the bad situation, but what God has done through this. And it's an amazing story. She's an amazing woman. Let's have a look at this video. 